What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Going Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. On today's podcast, we've got a ton to get to. Obviously, Wednesday was National Signing Day in college football, and the Ducks were once again the talk of the town. They landed four-star cornerback Roderick Pleasant over the USC Trojans, but they ended up missing out on yet another five-star. We're going to break that down. I'll tell you why. In today's day and age of college football, I, while I would have been really happy to get a commitment from five-star Nicholas Harbor, it may not be the worst thing in the world that Oregon finished second for him and a bunch of other five-stars uh, in the class. After we finish with all of the recruiting news, I want to talk a little bit about basketball and what Dana Altman and the Ducks have ahead of them. A couple of big games this weekend and some actual positive momentum going into the month of February, which... You know, it feels pretty nice right now. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the Ducks. They've got, they've got something going right now, and let's hope not to jinx that, but let's, let's talk about what they can do this weekend uh, down in Arizona. That's what's on tap. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. It is Wednesday afternoon, just after 3 o'clock on the West Coast. As I record this, we are a few hours removed from the wild morning in Eugene. Let's go ahead and recap the timeline of events. Uh, we're going to look at Nicholas Harbor specifically right now and his commitment. We're going to get to Roderick Pleasant here in a second, but Harbor was really, he was the, the marquee recruit um, of the two going into today as the five-star. So, and I mean, as if you follow recruiting, you you probably already know what happened. But this was a a wild finish, and uh, this one got a little bit weird down the stretch. So, all day Tuesday, momentum seemed to start building for South Carolina. If you didn't already know, Harbor was in Eugene uh, over the weekend for an official visit. Word out of that visit is that it went very well. He loved what he saw at Oregon. He loved the football facilities, the track facilities. He was at the basketball game over the weekend. Um, it, it just went really well. The Ducks really pulled out all the stops and trying to get him. And I think they did a great job with that. They did as well as they could have. But like I said, on Tuesday, it felt like momentum started to build for South Carolina to get him. He was South Carolina. The Gamecocks were one of the other schools that were really buying for his commitment. There were multiple crystal balls that, uh, were predicted for, for Harbor to go to South Carolina. If you're unfamiliar with what a crystal ball is, it's kind of an industry term for, uh, insider predictions for where they think he's going to end up. So throughout the day on Tuesday, a lot of South Carolina insiders uh, were predicting that Harbor was going to go there, which, you know, raised a lot of concern for Oregon fans, obviously, because I think that Duck fans felt pretty confident that he was going to end up in Eugene. Um, so throughout the day on Tuesday, you kind of felt this one slipping away from the Ducks. I'm not sure if that was um, whether that was real or not, but that's just kind of what the, the outside perspective was on the whole thing. Things changed a little bit on Tuesday night. Um, Steve Wiltfong, one of the lead analysts for 247 Sports, one of the, the biggest voices in the whole recruiting industry, he's, he came out on Tuesday night and said that the tide started to turn a little bit and that Oregon, you know, Oregon was making a really nice late push. Um, I'm not sure if they, you know, they changed their NIL offer or, or what happened, but it seemed like the Ducks were really getting into a good position. Uh, I think it was around probably... 9.30, 10 p.m. last night, uh, you had Wilt Fong saying that. You got a crystal ball from a Maryland insider, actually. Uh, Harbor is from Washington, D.C., so that Maryland area. You had someone from his neck of the woods saying, hey, I think it's going to be Oregon. 
Um, so I think that a lot of Oregon fans went to bed feeling pretty confident about where things stood. Uh, and then Wednesday morning, the confidence remained. I mean, I woke up and there was there was no new crystal balls yet, but there was still that same sort of confidence. Nothing had changed from overnight, which in the day and age of recruiting that we're in right now, things can change, you know, hour by hour, minute by minute. So the fact that we were able to go to bed and wake up and see that things were still the same and that Oregon was likely going to be the, the team to get Harbor, uh, that that should have given Oregon fans a lot of confidence. And with that, we knew that his commitment was coming at 10 a.m. on Wednesday. So it's not like the Ducks had to hold on for another day or two to try and hold on to his commitment and keep him in the fold. We were going to find out pretty soon where he was signing, and it was going to be a done deal. So then at 9.41 a.m., Wilt Fong changed everything, and he logged a prediction on 247 Sports for South Carolina to to get his commitment. So, um, And this is... This is important because if you know the difference between regular 247 Sports insiders and someone like Steve Wiltfong, someone like Brandon Huffman, and this is not to discredit any reporters. I know 247 Sports has a lot of great guys out there. I really respect what they do. But when you get someone like Wiltfong logging prediction, that's when you really take it seriously. That's when you think that, hey, this is, you know, there's actually a lot of fire here because he's not logging a prediction unless he really believes it. It's kind of like in, in football, if Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport tweets something or reports something, you know, you take it seriously because those are the most established voices in the sport. So, you know, they're, they're really, they've got good sources on everything and they believe what they're saying. So 941, Wilt Fung logs that prediction. And I mean, Oregon fans are kind of going crazy right now because they've spent the past 12 or so hours thinking that Harbor was going to be theirs, that Harbor was going to come to Eugene. And it it didn't happen. I mean, 10 o'clock, the commitment rolled around and Harbor ended up committing to South Carolina like the crystal ball said. So um, it it was interesting to watch play out because it went so up and down, so topsy-turvy. I mean, the Ducks had him. They didn't have him. They had him again. They lost him. And there was a lot of schools in this and a lot of things at play. Uh, it was just really interesting to watch play out. So what does it mean going forward? Are all of the reporters who predicted Oregon uh, was going to land him and felt good about the Ducks? Are they, are those guys idiots? Do they not know what they're talking about? No, absolutely not. This is just kind of the world of recruiting right now. I, my own sources, people I talked to, said that they felt really good about uh, the Ducks landing harbor. I mean, people inside the program felt really confident. I know people with Ducks Rising and Division Street that had, you know, said deals were lined up and they expected to get him. And that was as recent as last night. So I'm not, I'm not sure where things changed along the way. And I don't, I don't want to be cynical here, but it seems like there's a, an opportunity that this could have had some type of leverage play in it for NIL purposes. I mean... In the day and age of college football that we live in right now, that's that's a big part of the sport. I mean, I'm sure that Harbor was getting very, you know, lucrative deals to go to South Carolina and to go to Oregon. And there's a chance that he could have, you know, tried to build up this buzz that he's going to Oregon to get a better deal for South Carolina if they really wanted him. Or vice versa, he could have, uh, you know, there could have been a way to manufacture all of the buzz for South Carolina yesterday so that Oregon would come back last night and say, hey, we're going to up our offer a little bit because we want you to come here. So um, I'm not accusing anyone of doing anything wrong. I, it's just kind of, you know, basic strategy and basic negotiations. It makes sense that you're trying to get the most mon money out of someone that you can. So um, I don't know. I, I feel a little bit cynical saying that, but, you know, it begs to ask the question at this point.
I want to turn around and spin this into something sort of positive because I, I think that is possible. I think there is a silver lining uh, behind all of this for Oregon fans. And yes, the the Ducks ended up being the bridesmaid for a lot of five stars this recruiting class. I mean, there were a lot of five stars that Oregon really flirted with and really tried to get committed and almost got committed and they ended up going elsewhere. I mean, I'll go down the list of names. Dante Moore, David Hicks, Nicholas Harbour, Peyton Bowen, Caden Proctor, Jonte Cook, all of those guys, Oregon was, you know, if not leading at one point in the top two to land them. If you want to, you know, stretch it out to the top three, add Nico Yamaleava, Deuce Robinson, more five-star players that, you know, Oregon was recruiting hard and they at some point considered going to the Ducks. So here's what I'm saying. In today's day and age, sometimes I think that there's still a little bit of benefit to being the runner-up in a recruitment. Of course, I'm not saying that it's better than landing the commitment. I would rather land the commitment right away, every single time, get it a done deal, get them in the program, move on from there. But in the world of the transfer portal, I think that some of these guys will end up becoming available once again. A lot of these guys nowadays end up having multiple recruitments and multiple commitments because sometimes they go to a school, there may be an NIL package that draws them there, they get there, and they may realize that it's not exactly what they thought it would be. And now you can enter the transfer portal and try it all again and try and find that next school. If you look at David Hicks, who committed to Texas A&M, I've been told personally by people within the Oregon organization that, you know, he really, really wanted to go to Oregon. And in the end, his parents and his dad specifically really wanted him to go to Texas A&M, and that ended up winning out. You look at Peyton Bowen and the whole his parents situation and rumors about his girlfriend going to Oklahoma, and he commits to the Ducks, but never sends his, his letter of intent and ends up signing with Oklahoma the next day, so... Of those six players that I mentioned before, I would venture to say that maybe two to four of them enter the transfer portal down the road. I don't think that that's a crazy number to, to say because we've seen so many more players just pick up and leave where they are right now in hopes of a, a better situation, and I don't think you can blame them for doing that. But if that happens, I think that Oregon's in a really good spot. You say two years from now, maybe David Hicks is not having the career that he was hoping he would at Texas A&M, and he looks to pick up and find a new spot and rejuvenate his career. What is stopping him from looking at Oregon as the very first school when he opens up his commitment? Because we know he likes Eugene. We know he likes the Ducks. We know he's got a really good relationship with Dan Lanning. You know, he's someone that I could see if he enters the portal. I'm not saying he's going to enter the portal. But if he becomes available again, Oregon's in a really good position to try and land him because they've already got this groundwork. They've already got this recruiting relationship between coaches and players. Uh, and I think that that's something that could really benefit them in the end. You take Jordan Birch, for example. He's someone uh, that transferred to Oregon from South Carolina this year. He's a former five-star recruit that Dan Lanning recruited hard when he was at Georgia. And he, he almost ended up choosing the Bulldogs, but he chose South Carolina instead. And like I was just saying, the start of his career did not really go exactly as he planned it. I mean, he was built to be the next Jadavion Clowney for the Gamecocks. And it didn't, I mean, while he's a really good player and, and had a couple of nice seasons, he didn't really see the, uh, he didn't meet expectations in South Carolina. And while those expectations were probably a little bit too high, I don't think his career was going the way he wanted it to down in South Carolina. So he ended up entering the transfer portal and following Dan Lanning to Oregon. We talked to Dan Lanning after the signings today, and someone asked him about Jordan Birch, and he had this to say about the transfer. It just shows that you never know when a relationship might go full circle. And uh, Jordan's a phenomenal player. I think you can see that looking at his film. 
Uh, I think he has a, a ton of potential and I think he makes us better as a team. And I know his, uh, you know, his work ethic, I know his demeanor and his approach and uh, having that strong relationship, you know, four years ago, you never realize it's going to pay off down the road uh, and come full circle, like I said, but I think that gives us a chance to be better. I'm really excited about him being here. So that's just what I was saying. I mean, the fact that Oregon was in on so many of these guys and has these relationships built, I think that's a positive. And while, yes, I know a lot of Oregon fans are very frustrated right now about continually coming in second place for these five-star guys and being so close to adding this top-tier talent and really rising up those recruiting rankings, I think there is a little bit of a positive to glean from it if you're willing to look for it. Okay, let's talk about a player that Oregon did get, and that's four-star cornerback Roderick Pleasant. Uh, he's another dual-sport athlete, uh, a former a track sprinter down in California. He actually logged the fastest 100-meter time in California history last year at 10.14 seconds. That's blazing fast. He's among the fastest players in the 2023 class, as you would expect with that 100-meter time. He's ranked as the number nine cornerback and the number 91 overall player in the class. Uh, looking forward, I mean, his player outlook, I'd see at the very least him him being a contributor on special teams. I think the Ducks will try and get him such a good athlete on the field as much as they can in that role and just kind of get him used to the speed of the college game. I don't know that he's going to, you know, crack the, the defensive back rotation just because it's, it's kind of rare that you see true freshmen come in and there's a lot of depth in front of him in that secondary, so... Uh, I don't think that it's it should be expected that he comes in and is a, a starter in year one. But this is a really nice piece, and I'm excited to see him in spring football because, you know, like I said, he's probably one of the fastest guys on the team. He's a really, really highly rated recruit, and he just it's he's he's a really good player. I'm just excited to see what he can do. This also leads me to one of the bigger takeaways from this whole recruiting class, and that's just another pivot from the staff. Uh, I mean, you you lost Caleb Presley earlier in the in the recruiting class, who was the number one cornerback that was that was in Oregon's class, and he was so he was rated as the number twenty four cornerback in the nation and the number one player in the state of Washington. He flipped to Washington, and the Ducks turn around and they they landed Roger Pleasant, and they flipped Dalen Austin from LSU. Austin's the number twelve cornerback. Pleasant, like I said, the number nine cornerback. It's just it's really impressive the way they're able to adapt and pivot. Uh, what was seen as kind of a small loss on signing day. I know that the Ducks were one of the biggest winners on the early signing day, but uh, one of the, the minor losses with the, was that Caleb Presley flipped from Oregon. But, you know, someone within the program told me at the time that, you know, the Ducks were okay with losing him because they felt good about where they were with Roderick Pleasant, and they felt good about being able to flip Balen Austin from LSU. So um, I just think that's that's a small takeaway, but I'm I'm really impressed by what they were able to do because... Uh, it's just another another instance of landing showing that he's able to get some of these guys, and he's, you know, even if he's dealt a minor loss, he's able to turn it into a major win. So where does this class finish up? At the time of recording, right now, Oregon is number eight in the nation for the 2023 class. They are at the top of the Pac-12 for the fifth straight season. This is the second highest ranked recruiting class in Oregon history. It actually would have been the first had they signed Nicholas Harbor. A little bit of a peek behind the curtain. That was somewhat frustrating because while a lot of fans were, were really, you know, I wouldn't say upset, but bummed uh, that they got their hopes up and they didn't get Harbor to, to actually sign with the team. I was frustrated for another reason because, you know, when you've got all of the signs pointing towards a, a recruit committing to your team and signing with your team, you do some prep work and you get articles written uh, and you, you just make sure that you're kind of ready for when it happens and you pre-write stuff. 
And so I had, you know, a lot of hours, a lot of hours typing several articles enter the trash folder this morning because stuff that you wrote about, you know, where, where Harbor ranks among the, the highest rated commits to ever come to Oregon, he would have been, I believe it was the 12th highest rated if he signed with the Ducks. And, you know, it, it would have made Oregon the highest, it would have been the highest rated class in Oregon history, all this stuff. So um, that was just a little, a little peek behind the curtain in the, the journalism world, because I know a lot of people pre-write stuff. And I know that a lot of articles were probably sent to the trash folder this morning after his announcement. If you're looking for more recruiting coverage, I wrote about it all extensively on Duckswire. We've got some takeaways, winners and losers. Check it out if you want some more. Uh, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about some basketball. All right, let's talk a little bit of round ball before we close out the show. Uh, I know that for many listeners of the show, it's not uncommon to hear my frustration when talking about this men's basketball team. So this may be a little bit of a change of pace because I'm actually, I'm going to say this as hesitantly as possible, but I think Oregon might be showing some signs of life right now. I know I sound very tepid in saying that. I've just, I've been bit by this before. I mean, there were times earlier in the year where, you know, they get a couple of really nice wins and they turn around and just they just blow it all like that loss to Stanford. So um, I don't know. I'm just you. You look at the last stretch of games. They've won four of their last five games. One of those wins came over Arizona, who's the number five team in the nation. I just I'm I'm kind of encouraged by what I see. They got a pair of really nice wins over Colorado and Utah last week. They are right now a game and a half outside of first place in the Pac-12. Uh, despite that, they've got a really, really tough stretch coming up. They play at Arizona this week, at Arizona State this weekend, and then they host both USC and UCLA next week. Um, those four teams are four of the five teams ahead of them in the, the conference standing. So, um, But once again, if Oregon plays up to the level that they're capable of, and if they play some of the basketball that we've seen in the past few weeks, then I think that they can make some noise. Of course, if they play some of the basketball that we saw in the past two weeks against Stanford, then it's going to be, you know, a uh, uh, not very entertaining weekend, and we're going to be right back where we started next week. But if you look at those those four games, I think that if Oregon splits them, I mean, if they win two, lose two, if you win the two at home, I, I know that might be easier said than done because you've got USC and UCLA, but if you win two of those, regardless who it is, let's say you beat Arizona State, beat USC, Lose to Arizona, lose to UCLA. UCLA is the number nine team in the nation, too. I think that Oregon still has an outside chance at a not-large bid. I mean, you look at a lot of the bracketology that's been released over the past couple weeks. Oregon is not in the first four in or the first four out, but they're always kind of hovering right on the outside edge of someone that could get in if they keep, you know, going in the right direction. And uh, if you beat Arizona and you beat UCLA, I think that they've got a really good chance. Even if you don't beat those teams, but you beat ASU and you beat USC and you can get up to maybe the two or three spot in the Pac-12 standings, I think Oregon might have a little bit of a case. So what's changed recently? Why am I showing so much confidence? Why am, why, why am I changing my tune when I was so down on this team, even just, just as recently as a week ago and saying that it's probably another trip to the NIT? It's mainly because a few players in particular are stepping up. Like I said, the Ducks have won four of the last five. They beat Arizona, they beat Colorado, and they beat Utah on that stretch. I think that one of the main reasons that's been able to happen is because of Jermaine Kuznard, Keyshawn Bartholomew, and Nate Biddle. Let me read some of these stats for you. 
Over that five-game stretch, Kusnard is averaging 16 points per game, three assists on 48% shooting. Keyshawn Barthelme has nine points per game, two assists per game on 51% shooting, and Nate Biddle has nine points per game, six rebounds, 1.6 blocks per game on 56% shooting. That's three players that are not really viewed as your three primary players. I mean, we came into the season thinking it was going to be Will Richardson and Infali Dante leading the way for this team. And while those two players are still playing very well, you're getting key contributions from these three guys, and that's what's kind of taking them that next step up. That's what's kind of really getting them over the hump and being able to win some of these impressive games. So talk about Keyshawn Bartholomew and Jermaine Kuznard. What their contribution has brought to the team is it allows Will Richardson to work off of the ball more and not be a creator 100% of the time. I mean, you look at the start of the season and Richardson was either either having to score or assist on, I don't know the exact number, but it seemed like 75% or 80% of Oregon's possessions. And that's just not a good recipe for success. I mean, defenses can key on that and they can know that if you take this one guy out, you're going to have success on defense. Biddle stepping up allows the offense to stretch the floor and make it so defenses can't key on and folly Dante. I know Dante was dealing with a bit of a knee injury last week. He tweaked it in pregame warmups and had to sit out that game against Colorado. Came back against Utah and played pretty well, but uh, Biddle stepping up allows it allows Oregon to not have to rely on Dante as their lone big. And it's it's been really impressive. And, and another guy that needs a lot more recognition is Luke War. Uh, he's someone that really did not have a big role uh, last year uh, at any of it, at any point during his career at Oregon, but he stepped up a lot earlier in the year when Oregon was dealing with some injuries, and he played really well. And even though some of these guys have come back from injury and he's kind of been relegated to more of a, a end-of-the-bench role, he played a lot in this game against Utah, and he played really well. He led the team in plus-minus despite scoring zero points against Utah. And uh, it was just, it was really impressive to see what he's been able to do. And I think he's going to be a big member of this team going forward and a big member of this rotation. All of this brings me to the Kalel Ware situation. If you don't know who Kalel is, he was the five-star recruit that came to Eugene this past year. He's been projected to go pretty early in some NBA mock drafts. I mean, a lot of them have him in the first round, some within the lottery, which is the first, first 15 picks. Uh, he was a DNP, a did-not-play coach's decision versus Utah, which means he just didn't get any minutes. He he rode the bench the whole game, which was something very, very strange to watch throughout the game because anyone who's been watching this team kind of knows that, you know, he's he's not been playing up to his caliber. He's not been playing great basketball. Uh, Dana Altman has kind of been saying throughout the year that he's trying – Really hard to get more out of Kalel, get more energy. He needs his, he says he needs to get him out of first and second gear, see if he can get up to third, fourth, fifth gear, and just kind of get some emotion and get some energy out of him. And it appears that he has not been able to yet, and that kind of led to uh, Ware seeing the bench for a game. I think that Altman really tried to send a message to him. And after the game, Altman, Altman had some interesting comments, uh, especially when talking about Luke Ware. He kind of said that, you know, we're we're giving playing time to the people who play hard and practice hard. And it's, uh, you know, he said that his job as a coach and their job as a coaching staff is just to try really hard to evaluate the guys who want to be out there and who want to play for this team and really want to work for it. Um, that's why I think you saw someone like Luke Ware get so many minutes. And that's kind of why I think that Ware was riding the bench a little bit. 
Altman also said that, you know, the rotation can change game by game, day by day, week by week. So it's not like Ware is benched for the rest of the season and we won't ever see him again in Eugene. But I'm going to be very interested to see over these next couple of games how much he plays and how much he can get onto the floor because, uh, you know, just regardless of what happens this year, Ware's going to be a one and done. He's going to go into the NBA draft next year. Um, I don't think that it's... I don't think that fans need to worry about him transferring or anything because, you know, if he transfers this year, he's not eligible to play wherever he goes. And he's, like I said, he's, he's going to get drafted next year if he enters the NBA draft. So, um, it's just, at this point, it's just kind of what, what value are we going to get from him in Eugene? Is he going to be, you know, a lost cause and just sit on the bench for the rest of the year? Or is he going to, you know, step up and, and show some energy and sort of show some hustle and be a part of this team going forward? Um, I'm really interested to see, you know, if this message from Altman kind of got to him and got home or if he's, you know, I, I don't know where personally, I don't want to speak ill against him, but you know, there's, there's some body language, uh, and some demeanor things that you can pick up on when watching him at the game. We were watching him at the Utah game and during timeouts, you know, once it became clear that he wasn't getting in the game, you know, mid late second half. He was kind of checked out during the huddles, and he was kind of just standing around and, and doing his own thing. So um, I'm just very curious to see if this was a wake-up call for him and if we see something different going forward, or if this is just another situation where a really, really high-profile recruit came to Oregon and things did not work out. Like I said, going forward Thursday night, Oregon plays at Arizona, the number five team in the nation, Saturday night at Arizona State. These are two big games. I think if you win one of them, you're in a really good spot. If you win two of them, that'd be amazing. I don't expect Oregon to win two of them. Um, I, you know, I could very well see them winning neither of them. It's we just we have to see which Oregon team shows up. It's been the, the same case every every game of the year. It's just kind of just seeing who shows up. So, um, if I had to predict right now, I bet they win one. But it would not shock me if I'm back here on Monday saying, man, what just happened? Uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see, and I'm excited just to see what Dana can get out of these guys. All right, that's going to do it for another incredibly fun episode of Going Long. Once again, major shout-out to Dan Lanning for making another splash in the recruiting world and keeping my job interesting. We really appreciate it. I will be back next week, likely on Monday morning, to talk about Oregon's trip down to the desert. Let's see what they can do on that road trip. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com or at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.